in this season of Advent, which is a season of expectation and preparation, uh, preparation for the day when we mark the birth of our Savior, the day that stands as the turning point of all of history. It's a day that's filled with all kinds of expectations, and so for many of us, the expectation has to do with the Christmas tree and what might be under the tree. I think the question you probably hear most often this time of year is, what do you want for Christmas, right? And I've asked that question a couple of times and forgotten a couple of times, but I think I got it right, and we will see on Christmas morning. You can extend that question and those expectations to the coming year. You know, what are you hoping for in 2024? What are some personal expectations for me? It's finally those 12 pounds, right? How many, how many are going to lose 12 pounds finally next year? And we'll see what happens Christmas 2025. Uh, for others, you know, we have more serious goals in life expectations perhaps about achieving certain financial goals or surviving uh, a financial disaster, who knows what's coming, uh, or maybe career goals, finally going to get that raise. There are things that we look forward to. There are things that we anticipate. There are expectations. Another one, of course, might be some political expectations or aspirations. Uh, I was reminded of a quote I saw after one of the elections in the last 10 years. Some will get the movie reference, even if you don't, it doesn't matter. We voted for Pedro, have all of our wildest, expect, our wildest dreams come true yet, right? You know, somebody might win, somebody might lose, we might have our hope fulfilled, but somehow they always seem to manage to let us down, don't they? <laughs> And we have absolutely no reason to anticipate that whatever those hopes or expectations are in that particular area of our lives are going to bring us satisfaction in the long run. This morning, we are going to be talking about Mary. And one of the things that I love about Mary, there are so many in Luke chapter 1, but one of them is that she helps us to manage expectations and fulfillment. She helps us to understand how the things that we hope for are satisfied in Christ. In particular, I'm talking about Mary's song, the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1. Just to give a little bit of the background, of course, we all know the story, but there are salient facts that we don't want to leave out, uh, and we'll read the song a little bit later, but Mary was a young girl, probably 13 or 14 years old, living in poverty in a relatively unknown town of Nazareth. Uh, in what many at that time would have called a God-forsaken part of the world, and they would have said that literally because it had been 400 years or so since the people had even heard a word from a prophet of the Lord. Young girl, unknown backwater of a town, living in poverty in a desperate time, 
when the angel Gabriel appears to her and says to her, out of the blue, she had no reason to anticipate this was coming. We know the story, you know, we kind of are used to it. Bam, angel, you are the one who is going to give birth to the Messiah. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people. Gabriel then goes on to describe Jesus to her. We'll read those verses in a little bit. And then he says, your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. This is a miracle as well. And so when Gabriel has finished with his announcement, Mary goes off to visit with Elizabeth. And she stays with her for three months. And when Mary and Elizabeth meet the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist leaps with joy. And Elizabeth praises the Lord, and then Mary breaks into her beautiful, just almost unmatched in beauty and Scripture, the song of praise that Mary sings in Luke chapter 1. It's a song that overflows with truth and with adoration for the Lord. It is a song that, as you may know, is saturated with Scripture. It's astounding as you go through the number of scriptural quotes and allusions, somewhere between 17 and 18, three references to the Pentateuch, nine that come out of the Psalms, several out of the major prophets, three out of the minor prophets, and so that's what connects us with our series, Advent in the Minor Prophets. Mary's song is it would seem tied in so very closely with the last words of the Old Testament that God had given through these prophets whom we had been discussing. The overall outline of Mary's song follows most closely with 1 Samuel, the song of Hannah, as she is lifting up praise to the Lord. But the individual lines are just replete with the entire story of the Old Testament, and that's something that we need to have in mind. All of the promises, all of the expectation, and the longing throughout the Old Testament are wrapped up in this song that Mary sings in praise to the Lord. So let's remind ourselves for a couple minutes of Israel's longing of the expectation that they had and that they were praying for. Two of the minor prophets that are almost directly quoted in Mary's songs, song are Habakkuk and Micah. So the situation in which these prophets were speaking the word of the Lord is familiar to us. But again, just to remind us, Habakkuk had been looking at the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, and he cried out to the Lord as he saw the injustice and the sin, the moral decay and decline that he viewed in, in the city around him, in the culture around him. And he said, Lord, how long? How long are you going to tolerate this? And the Lord actually brings Habakkuk an answer. He says, not much longer because I'm going to bring a more evil nation. I am going to bring a less just, a violent people to sweep over the land and accomplish my judgment on the sin of Jerusalem. 
And so Habakkuk approaches the end of his prophecy in despair as far as expectations, as far as longing. There's not going to be deliverance from the evil that he sees around him, and instead what he has to look forward in the near future to is destruction and devastation and death and exile for his people. So this is Habakkuk's situation. Micah's situation, of course, is not much better. He prophesied actually a hundred years before Habakkuk. He saw the evil in the land around him. He despaired at the decay and the injustice that surrounded him. And he wrote these words that kind of summarize all of the desperation of the people of the Lord at this time. Micah 7, 1 through 3. What misery is mine. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. It actually is very close to the language of Habakkuk. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. Now, these are not really cheerful Christmas words, but we've got to understand the situation in which these prophets were speaking. Israel was in a state of misery, and they were longing. They were longing for the things that the prophets eventually promised. They were longing for restoration back into the land. They were longing for victory over the enemies who surrounded them and so long had persecuted them and who were going to overwhelm them and carry them into exile. They were longing to be restored into the blessing of the Lord, into abundance, into joy, into peace. They were longing for the day that the prophets prophesied when the nations would stream to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were longing for that in Habakkuk's day. They were longing for that in Micah's day. And they were still longing for that in Mary's day. Regarding Micah, 700 years later. For Habakkuk, 600 years later. In Mary's day, the people still longing. The promises had been partially fulfilled. They had been brought back into the land. But they were living under complete Roman domination. In those last 600 years, whenever a nation had come to Jerusalem, it was to invade and to overrun and to pass through the land and the great affairs of the wars among the nations. Israel was still a poor backwater, seemingly rejected by the Lord. Where was the fulfillment of these promises? And so again, Mary's day, 
foreign domination, poverty, where are the blessings? Where's the hope? Where's the satisfaction of this thing that we have been expecting for so long? And what Gabriel says to Mary is that Jesus, Jesus is the provision. Let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Gabriel appears to Mary and says, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the very fulfillment of the promises that had been prophesied centuries previous and really through the history of the nation. Jesus is the answer for what they have been looking for. Two of the descriptors that Gabriel gives of Jesus is that he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and these indicate his divine origins. Jesus' deity is spoken of in these words. We misuse the word great in our culture and in our lives. How are you doing today? I'm great. And I was great yesterday and probably great tomorrow. And actually, I'm not even talking about what's really going on in my life, but I don't want to burden you. And I don't want this to be an extended conversation, so I'm great, right? Or somebody that we know, what a great person. You know Tom Becker? Oh, he's a great guy. God bless his soul in a good southern way, right? Because I know he's not actually that very great, but I don't really want to say anything bad about him. So, oh, he's a great guy great guy. Or we debate about the greatest of all time in sports or in popular culture, right? And we forget that when we say the greatest of all times, we are meaning my conscious life and actually maybe just the last 10 years. All time is a really long period of time, and the greatest of all time should be spoken of very, very, very rarely <laughs> if we actually understand the word great. And in the Old Testament, they understood the word great. It was used, but with qualifiers. Great among his people. Great in a certain area of activity. When the word great was used without any of those qualifiers, but just standing on its own, it was talking about God. God is great in his works. God is great in power. God is great in mercy. God alone is great. And this baby will be great. And Gabriel goes on. The Son of the Most High God. We know very well that when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God, all of his listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. They wanted to put him to death for blasphemy because by calling God his Father, he was making himself equal with God. And so Gabriel's first two ways to describe Jesus to Mary point 
to the deity of this baby. And then he points to the fact that Jesus fulfills the promises through the millennia. He will sit on the throne of his father David, remember the covenant to David, that one of his descendants would always be on the throne. Remember throughout the minor prophets the promises that the descendant of David would rule forever. And so you go on to the next phrase there. He will reign over Israel forever. Remember the descriptions, the promises, the prophecies that his kingdom would never end, would never end chronologically, would never end geographically. He will rule over all of the earth forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the answer. All of the messianic expectations are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. All of the promises about the throne of David, all of the promises about God's rule on earth, every one of them finds its meaning and its fulfillment in this baby who is going to be born. Jesus is the satisfaction of all of those promises. But the remarkable thing is, that doesn't look like Mary or Israel later on, John the Baptist. It doesn't look like any of them actually expected it to look like. God's answer to all of those expectations brought immediate distress in Mary's circumstances. They brought blessing to her soul but distress in her circumstances. This young girl who was pledged to be married is going to show up pregnant. We know that her betrothed, Joseph, was going to divorce her. It's recorded for us in the book of Matthew. She had every reason to expect all of the shame, all of the loss, that would be associated with that pregnancy. She remained this young girl from the backwater of Nazareth. She remained in poverty. Nothing changed in those circumstances. The angel appeared to her, but that didn't mean that suddenly she had beautiful robes and gold jewelry and people around her honoring her. In fact, when the Magi would come and bring gifts of gold and and precious spices, those would be used to fund an exile to Egypt, not to buy something fancy for her to wear. And then, of course, we know of the sorrow that would follow her as her own heart would eventually be pierced watching her son die on that cross. The fulfillment of the promises, the satisfaction of the expectations brought no change in her different, difficult circumstances. And that truth extends to the circumstances of the people of God. 
they kept longing for that conquering king. And Jesus said, you're going to have to wait on that one. But there's a greater promise that's being fulfilled here. The ultimate answer is the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Gabriel said you will call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. And you're looking for one kind of salvation from enemies around you. But God's talking about a different kind of salvation. And it's the salvation that the prophets understood and that Mary knew very well. Let's go back to Micah chapter 7 again. And the message of hope that Micah shares after that message of despair. Who is a God like you who pardons sin? Okay, so Micah had just complained about injustice and poverty and there's no figs and there's no grapes and there's no rulers that will rule justly. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sin underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on earth to our ancestors in days long ago. We'll read those verses again. But what does Micah focus on as the answer to his need and to the nation's need? The salvation that God will bring from sin, the forgiveness from iniquity, the mercy instead of the justice that we deserve. And Mary sings of this same ultimate answer that is found in Jesus Christ. Now we'll finally, after all this time, read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knew that the promises that would be fulfilled by the baby in her womb had to do with salvation had to do with God remembering his promises to the people, his promises of mercy and his promises of love. She knew that salvation comes from the Lord. 
And so, with circumstances unchanged, maybe even getting worse, Mary's going to go home after three months pretty pregnant. And she's going to tell everybody, this is from the Holy Spirit. Mary knew that in that baby who was inside of her was everything that she needed and longed for because salvation would come from him. And so her response is this song of praise that we just read. There's all kinds of ways of breaking down Mary's song, but we're just going to look at it in in two particular parts. First of all, her, her proclamation that Jesus as deliverer and as Savior is everything that we hope for. Did you see it in verses 48 through 50? He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's probably a play on words. Israel is called his servant, but Mary is his servant as well. She had said that I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. The Lord has been mindful of her humble state and has exalted her, and so he has also been mindful of the humble state of Israel and has exalted Israel. And then what does Jesus say about a humble state for all of us? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed those who are humbled because of their state. The Lord is mindful and is lifting you up. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all the world. That humble baby who would be born in that manger in those circumstances of poverty and then would go into exile, who would grow up in this unknown town that really was despised. Does anything good come from Nazareth? He would go to the cross, die the most humiliating and ignoble death that was known at the time, and suffering as a servant would take upon himself the sin of all human beings, every one of us, our sin resting on that Savior. And when he died on that cross, he took the rejection, the punishment, the condemnation that we deserve and gives to us hope and life and a future, forgiveness of sins, Adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. The satisfaction of the deepest longing of our soul is met in Jesus Christ. And Mary knew it at that moment when she said he is mindful of the humble state of his servant and has done great things. Holy is his name. Mary's response is first that Jesus is everything that we hope for. And also that he is the divine warrior who acts on behalf of his people to deliver from poverty 
from oppression and from the proud. This is possibly, we're not sure, but possibly a reference to the mighty warrior of Zephaniah who delivers the people from the hand of their oppressors. Here again is what she has to say in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Those are the words we read in Zechariah. Scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, brought down rulers from their thrones but lifted up the humble, filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. And again, one of the commentators says, at this point, no proud armies had been scattered. No thrones had been overturned. No unjust tycoons had been sent away. The outward circumstances remain unchanged. But the armies of the evil one would be scattered. The poor state of those who are dead in their sins would be overturned. And salvation made available for God's people. And so Mary proclaims Jesus as the fulfillment of every one of those promises. Just want to look a little more closely so that you can see how very much what she has to say parallels what Micah has to say at this point. Micah 7.20, you will be faithful to Jacob. Remember, Jacob and Israel are used interchangeably. You'll be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors long ago. And then Luke 1, 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so here you have Israel, you have Abraham, and you have the ancestors. You have God's faithfulness to Israel, You have his mercy towards Abraham, and you have promises towards the ancestors. What Micah anticipated, Mary proclaims as fulfilled. And in particular, it's helpful. That's so weak. It's exciting. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can do in his inspired words of Scripture, in particular that word mercy or love. I'm not good enough in Hebrew to be able to understand Micah chapter 7, and so I had to go to the ancient Septuagint translation, which is in Greek, done 200 years before Jesus was born, because that was the common language of the land, the Old Testament translated into Greek, and the word that is used there by Micah is mercy, because it is the, the Hebrew word chesed, the covenant love. The covenant love that God had proclaimed to Abraham, that God had proclaimed to Moses, the covenant love based on his promises to which he is always faithful and which results in him being compassionate and merciful to his people. The covenant love that was proclaimed in Jonah and proclaimed three times in the books of the minor prophets. That covenant love 
is translated as mercy. And when Mary says, God is keeping his promises to be merciful towards his people, he is saying that God's covenant love has not failed. It is fulfilled in Jesus. God has kept his promise. What we've been longing for, for the millennia, for the centuries, and for all my life is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so she responds in faith and in praise. Let's look again at such amazingly close parallels in language. Habakkuk 1.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. And Mary's song, Luke 1, opens with the words, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God's my, God my Savior. Knowing that Everything that she longed for is satisfied in Jesus Christ. Her heart breaks forth in praise. It's not just words that she happens to know and she says because, well, she's in church and she ought to say him. She's standing at the doorstep of her relative Elizabeth. And from the depths of her being, my soul, my spirit, exalt the Lord, lift up his name, magnify his greatness. Praise flows from her inner being because she knows what is met in Jesus Christ. This song of faith and praise focuses on the Lord. It focuses on his power. She mentions his holiness, his faithfulness to keep his promises through the generations, his mercy that is poured out on his people, the salvation that he makes available. And so she proclaims the truth. How often have we talked about living faithfully in difficult times whether it's in our own lives or in our difficult age, about telling ourselves the truth. Mary doesn't look at her circumstances. She doesn't look at the difficulties. When her soul breaks forth with what dwells in her inner being, it's not complaining. It's rejoicing in the truth that she knows about God her Savior. Because everything that she really needs is found in this baby that she carries and whom she is going to birth. So a few questions that we can ask ourselves this Christmas so that that joy will characterize, characterize our greeting of the Savior. And the first one is, what are you hoping for? What do you want for Christmas? I'll give you my answer in the typical way. Miriam, I hope you're listening. Toyota Tacoma, 4 by 4 <laughs> Double cab, 
which means only a five-foot bed. 6,400-pound towing capacity. <laughs> Probably not going to happen, right? <laughs> Better not happen. What are we hoping for in the new year? And it really is okay. It really is okay to have these things that we want as long as we know that they're in their place. It's okay to have some hopes about how some of the disasters going on in our world today are going to turn out. It's okay to pray that God will bring peace. It's all right to aspire to lose those 12 pounds. Probably actually is pleasing to the Lord if we honor our Lord by honoring our bodies. It's okay to have career, expect, to have career goals financial goals that we pursue. But they have to be in their place. We have to understand we can vote for Pedro and not all of our wildest dreams are going to come true. What will bring us satisfaction this Christmas? That's a better question to ask. And we've just got to understand it's not in those things. If I get my 4 by 4 eventually, it is still going to end up in the rust heap along with every other car I've ever owned. And the same can be true for everything else that I just mentioned. It is all going to burn. And only the things that are eternal bring satisfaction. There are some who are hoping for healing in this coming year. Could be chronic disease. Could be other kinds of healing that we need in our hearts and our souls, our families. Pray that it'll happen. It might. Wouldn't it be wonderful to bless the Lord and thank Him for a miracle in our lives this coming year? But we've got to know it might not happen. And we can't rest our satisfaction. We can't rest our sense of fulfillment in that coming true or in our financial goals. Jesus said to the woman by the well, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Only he is the water that we can drink and be satisfied. And so the question we can ask ourselves, and if you can take some time today, all the busyness of the season, maybe in your small group, maybe around the dinner table sometime this week. How can you increase your satisfaction by realigning your expectations? How can I increase my satisfaction by realigning my expectations? And in particular, realigning my expectations from my circumstances which right now could be really good, right now could be really bad, 
we know Christmas is not a celebration for everybody. There are people for whom this is a time of grief. How can I move my expectations from my circumstances, which can fail, to my Savior, who will never fail? One of the commentators I read this week said, God only satisfies people who are hungry for him. When we get stuffed on the pleasures of life, we do not feel our need for God. And then he has nothing more to give us. But when we long for him, he never fails. As Isaiah said, he satisfies our soul with the richest affair. When we place our expectations on him, he does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. When we rest our soul on our Savior alone, he is faithful to every one of his promises. May his name be praised. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. We call this season Advent because we're looking forward to a day on our calendar when we celebrate you. But the fact is that every day is the day that you have made and we can rejoice and be glad in it because the thing you made is a way of salvation. The thing you made is an opening through the curtain into the presence of the living God. The thing you made brings ultimate satisfaction to our souls that are empty apart from you. Lord, help us. This season is filled with so many good things. There are parties to go to and there are travels to be done and, and gifts to bless each other with and meals to share. Thank you for these. But Lord, you can take it all away. December 25th, 2024 can see us in poverty and homeless and alone, but you will still be our satisfaction. You will still be everything that we need. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not found a Savior in that manger. That you would point out in the midst of all of our richness, all of these material blessings that surround us, that you would point out the ultimate need of our soul which is a Savior. That you, Holy Spirit, would convict of sin and of the need for righteousness before a holy God, of judgment to come, which we deserve, but was poured out on him in our place. 
Would you birth faith and new life, we pray in his name. Amen.